Welcome to New Money. I'm Brian Hurst. This evening we are focusing once again on the investment world. I've always said that if you are confused, you're probably thinking straight. Market volatility this year has been extreme. Equity investors must be confused about the market direction, particularly with markets over the last few months moving sideways. With global uncertainty, gold has not been a beneficiary. Last week, Brent oil went up over $80 a barrel. US Treasury bonds and UK gilts also moved ahead together with other countries' bonds. The rands weakened while the US dollar soared. And joining this evening to try and make some sense of all this is Henry Biddlecombe. He's an investment analyst at Anchor Capital. Henry, good evening and thank you very much for joining me. Good to be here. Henry, just make some sense of this because, you know, we always talk about when there's uncertainty in the world, gold soars. We saw the RAND strengthen. We've now seen the RAND weaken, merging markets. We've seen oil go up over $80. So a lot of confusion out there. And there's a great anxiety, although investors know that you want to be in the market, like property, it's long term. It's funny how when they go into property, they know it's long term. When they go into markets, they know it's long term, but they can see prices daily. So make some sense of it. Yeah, look, Brian, I think the market's trying to digest a hang of a lot of information at the moment. Um, you know, if you look at the currencies, um, we're seeing a hell of a lot of rotation out of emerging markets at this point um, because of the rising rates in the US. And this is a normal phenomenon in the event that global rates start to normalize. Um, if you're talking about $80 oil, well, you know, in the event that a higher oil price is a function of higher demand, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? And we think that's exactly what it is. So we've seen some material drawdowns in global oil inventories, and I think that's a positive sign of growth. So as you know, in markets, the one certainty is uncertainty. And then, but so, so let's just talk now about the most important thing in anyone's portfolio, an investor's portfolio, is asset allocation. Right. So let's just talk about the type of asset allocation you would be putting into a client for who's got a long-term strategy. And I know everyone's got a different understanding of short, medium, and long-term. But long-term, five, ten years or upwards. So look, I think someone with a, with a long-term investment horizon should be anywhere between 70 and 80% invested in equities. And I think at this point, that's probably the right number. Um, and then also you want 15 to 20% in property and, and probably 10% in fixed income. Um, and... I, th I think you're right when you talk of the importance of asset allocation. You know, there have been numerous empirical studies conducted over the years which try to explain what proportion of portfolio returns are explained by asset allocation rather than stock selection and timing the market. And they all come out with more or less the same answer, and that's 90%. 90% of your returns over time are explained by asset allocation, and that's why it's a very important process to get right with your financial advisor. Although investors, when markets are moving ahead, feeling very positive when markets move down, feel terribly negative, don't like to look at their portfolio. Henry, let's just talk about, we're into the 10th year of a bull market. Yeah. And we haven't had too many setbacks during that 10 years, maybe a few times, maybe 10, 12% down. Mm. Uh, our market has come off from the highs of January, February. Uh, we've seen global markets come off and seen global markets pick up again. Um, how are you feeling about, are you, still, are you still think we're in this bull trend? You know, I think we're not seeing any obvious signs of the top. But then again, sometimes they aren't obvious and they set on quite quickly. Um, but I think what you have to acknowledge is that we are in the late stages of the global economic cycle and you have to invest accordingly. So this wouldn't be the right time to go overweight equities, I think. So in the context of what is an appropriate asset allocation for you, you should invest into equities. So let's just talk about it. You've got a portfolio, yeah. 80, 90% equities. Mm -hmm. Are you saying take something off the table? 
Now, as compared to someone who wants to put money into the market, and I, the message I'm hearing, someone who wants to put in the market, go a lot slower. Go a lot slower. But someone who's in the market, would you say be taking something off the table? I would maintain my exposure at, at, at the right level. So if you've come up with an asset allocation framework with your financial advisor and you've decided that over time I want to own 70% or I have 70% of my portfolio in equities, then you, you maintain that number. You're not going to go to 80 or 90 now. Okay, so now let's break that down further because yeah. we talk about diversification, three types of diversification. Don't be all invested in your own business, diversify. Yeah. Diversify an asset class, equity properties and a bit of cash and or bonds. And then we talk about global diversification. So let's just talk about, we talk about 70% in equities. How, what percentage of those equities would you be offshore? At least 50, I would say. Of the 70? Absolutely. Half? Yes. Half. Not 50 of 70? Not what, 50 of 70. Yeah, you would. Yes. And that's, uh, uh, that's close to, we talk about 70% of your 70% being offshore. Do you yes. see more value on the offshore markets compared to South Africa? Not necessarily more value, but we're certainly seeing more growth. Um, but, you know, over time, uh, the important thing about developed markets and emerging markets is that the two aren't necessarily always correlated. So they become two very important fundamental building blocks of a diversified portfolio. And I think as South African investors, sometimes we make the mistake of over-investing in our own market. And I think it's a function of familiarity. I think it's a function of convenience, but that's a mistake. You need to remember that South Africa only accounts for half a percent of global GDP. Why would you want to concentrate your entire portfolio in such a tiny fraction of the global economy? Now, look, if you look at international investors, you look at people in America, people in Britain, they diversify globally. That's why. Absolutely. So, so it's not being disloyal to the country to invest uh, globally. No, absolutely not. In fact, when you talk to older investors in South Africa, they're very conservative. They tend to have 80 to 90% of their local portfolio invested on the JSC. You go to the UK and you talk to a retired investor, they'll have at a maximum 50% of their portfolio invested in the UK market. So we tend to be under-diversified and we need to start compensating for that. And Henry, let's just talk about, any, can you see any pockets? I mean, let's talk about property funds. Property funds had quite a drop in the last three months. And I think the most severe drop that they've had for maybe in the last five to 10 years. And is that because of one group, the resilient, the fortress group being overweight in the, in the index? Or are you seeing value across the board in property portfolios? So remember, the resilient group of companies constituted, I think at one stage, about 40% of the JSE's property index. It was a tremendous component of the index. And that's come under tremendous pressure because those shares were trading at a, a very significant premium to NAV. The market woke up to this and the shares have come under pressure. Having said that, I think that's created pockets of opportunity on the JSE property index. Um, we're seeing a lot of opportunity in the small and mid-cap property stocks. The larger stocks seem to have re-rated quite nicely post-December, um, so they've probably run as much as they will for a while. But companies like Arrowhead, Accelerate, um, Vukili, these are all companies that are trading at strong double-digit yields, and I think that they could generate anywhere from a 15 to 20% total return profile over the next 12 months. Well, we're going to take a short break. If you want to call us, you can call us on 011 483-1518. We're talking investments this evening. Stay tuned. I'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money. This evening we're discussing investments. My guest is Henry Biddlecombe from Anchor. And if you'd like to call us 011-483-1518, you can still email me on brianh at bhca 
www.bernie.co.za. I've got an email from Bernie in Cape Town. He says, I've just sold a property for 10 million and would like to invest for the next 10 years. How much would you advise to invest in South African equities, property, and what percentage should I invest globally? I think you've dealt with that in, in a way. You yes. said you have 70% of your investments um, in equities, of which you said 70 of that 70, we said around about 50% of your total investment offshore. That's right. I think that's a 70% is a good equity allocation for a long-term investor. Two th- up to two-thirds of that can be taken offshore. Um, and uh, on top of that 70%, I think you can throw 15 to 20% into SA-listed property at this stage. Yeah. Okay. Well, except if you don't need an income, you mean property, it's going to give you that income yes. taxable, yes. As, but, for the, but, for, but for the growth as well. Yes, absolutely. So you must remember... That, the return profile of a property stock is quite interesting. Um, and a lot of it has to do with yield. So for example, there are a lot of property stocks that are trading on a 10, 11, 12% yield at this point, but those yields are also growing at a rate of five to six per annum. So that gives you a total return profile in the region of 16 to 17%. And it's a fairly stable return profile as well. So over time, the power of you leverage the power of compounding. And that's why listed property is one of the best performing asset classes in, in South Africa, actually, over time. Look, as long as you realize yeah. If you buy a property, there's no stake in the ground that tells you the price. If you buy property shares, you've got to understand it is for yield and it is long term and don't keep looking at the price. That's Let's take our first caller. Peter, good evening. Go ahead with the question. Good evening. Tell me, are price earning ratios on South African shares in dangerous territory? Price earnings ratios you know, in dangerous we were, territory. We were just talking about that earlier. I think post December, um, a lot of the South African oriented shares ran quite hard. And certainly you could have said that PE ratio had run, run to elevated levels. But over the past couple of weeks, I think um, expectations have been reset and those PEs are coming back down to a rational level. So we're starting to identify opportunity in the local market again. Henry, are, we, are, are, are our yields higher than the, than the mean over a period, over, let's say over the last 20 years? So yields are lower than the mean. So in other words, price earnings multiples are higher than the mean over the last 20 years. But that's, that's a function of where the global economy is at. And know. globally, are, are, are we finding global equities also the price earnings too high? Not necessarily too high. They're just pricing in a, a high level of growth. So they're certainly above the long-term mean. But as, again, as long as these companies deliver on the projected earnings growth, then those multiples continue to unwind. It's really when those... Um, companies aren't able to deliver earnings in line with the expectations. So Henry, we've had first quarter results coming out in the US. Uh, now we're going to have to wait to see what happens in the next three quarters. Yes. And then we're going to have to see next year, how do they compare to this year? And it's unlikely that those companies can achieve the sort of growth that they've had in the last 12 months. Well, they can't. You know, if you look at what earnings expectations are for the next nine months, it's in the region of 22 or 23% year on year. Um, and th- those expectations fall to around 7 or 8% next year because obviously you've now got tax reform in the base. And we're going to be watching very carefully um, how those companies go into the Q1 next year's earnings seasons because that's going to tell you whether or not there's, there's um, real organic growth or whether it was just a, a, a tax reform yeah. scenario. Henry, you're an analyst. And yeah. so here, here I sit in a company as a director saying, if we can achieve a 12 to 15% return, guys, We'll have pat ourselves on the back. We've done well. Yet you as analysts say, we, 12 or 15 is not, not enough. We expect 17. So we deliver 12 to 15. You guys say you've underperformed. And the markets are hammered. The markets, the share gets hammered. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's a function of where valuations are at right now. Yeah, you know, um, the movement of a share price is determined firstly by the company's own performance and secondly by the market's expectations of that company's performance. And if the two are mismatched, you're going to have a magnified reaction um, in either direction. So um, when valuations are sitting at the levels that they are now, those reactions become amplified. Can't you talk, aren't you a member of an association of analysts? Can't you get them to talk, just tamper down their, their analyst expectations? <laughs> right, let's take that. It's Galeen. Good evening. Go ahead and do the question. Good evening, Brian. What are your thoughts on the random interest rates? Interest rates, yeah, interesting one. Interest rates in South Africa, I mean, you know, consumers are really struggling. And with inflation, higher, with higher um, VAT mm. and they haven't, and, and their, their debt cost is still going, we don't bring interest rates down. So can you see South African interest rates coming off? You know, this has been the subject of a lot of debate lately. I think um, over the past couple of months, there was the scope for a rate cut. But I think that window is now closed. You know, you've got numerous inflationary pressures coming through now. You've got a weaker currency, you've got a higher oil price, you've got a higher rate of VAT, and all of that's going to push inflationary pressure up. So it reduces the scope of the Reserve Bank to cut rates. And if anything, the commentary that we're hearing now is that the Reserve Bank may well become more hawkish over time. And the fact that rates overseas are going up as well will put the Reserve Bank under pressure to start hiking our rates. So I think the likelihood of a rate cut from here is, is reduced. I mean, they talk about interest rates in the U.S. going up three more times this year. Mm -hmm. And yet I've seen commentary recently which has said they don't really think that they need to push up interest rates. Is the market pricing in interest rate hikes? I think consensus is for, is for three more rate hikes. But, you know, these guys are making decisions based on economic data that's coming out every three months. And as we know, um, their views can change very quickly. Um, but for now, those are the expectations. Ronald in Durban says, what is our view on, on, on the interest rates and should he think about fixing his bond? So you've spoken about interest rates mm -hmm. and now fixing your bond. A lot of people have been asking me that question. Uh, and yeah, look, you can only fix your bond for a certain period of time and you're going to fix it at a higher rate than what it is now. Would you fix your bond? Yeah, look, I don't think that there's an obvious arbitrage um, for consumers there because obviously banks are pricing in their rate hike expectations into that bond. Um, I think when you're fixing a bond, you're doing it more for personal cash flow reasons, really, um, than speculating on the interest rate. Because at least you know where you stand. You know, exactly. When you're doing your budget, you want to say, although I must say, even if interest rates do go up, I mean, as you say, hawkish view, maybe interest rates will not come down as we hope to stabilise. You know, personally, if I've only got a two-year window period, I wouldn't be fixing my bond. I don't think the benefit's yeah. obvious, yeah. Gillian in Santa says, what is our view? <laughs> I love this one. What is our view invest investing in bitcoins? Well, is it investing? Or is it speculating in Bitcoin? So I'll give you my view, right? And it's a contradiction. <laughs> and I'll give you my view afterwards. <laughs> so I think it's an interesting discussion and you need to be able to separate the technology from the currencies. Now, we believe that the technology has huge application in an innumerable, innumerable number of um, industries, but the currencies are very different. You know, I'm a fundamentals guy. I believe that the value of an asset is the present value of its future cash flows. And you don't have those fundamentals with cryptocurrency. So I think they're highly speculative in nature. So I'm avoiding them. And I think if you're playing with them, you need to be very careful. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm the way I feel as well, I look, I don't know enough about it. But as you say, I think the, 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 the system behind it is, 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 is ultimately where if you want to invest, that's where you invest long term. As when first Facebook came out, everyone didn't know what it was and all these other Google, which is the alphabet, people didn't know. And I mean, we've seen the success. But my, my, my view to that caller is, is God, I'm certainly done enough about it. I have a simple philosophy. What would I do for myself, my son, or, or, or my, my mother? And I can tell you, they came to me about Bitcoin. 
as wrong as I could be, I'll say stay away. But as I say, as wrong as I may be. Barry Nilova says, if the number of bullish investors in the US decline, I'm told this is positive of markets and not negative. Is this correct? You know, it reminds me of the old Warren Buffett adage, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. But I do think that that's a little bit of an oversimplification. I think the right answer for investors is through time, you just need to, you, you need to maintain a valuation discipline, regardless of um, the stage of the economic cycle and the phase of the market. As long as you maintain a valuation discipline and you don't get too ahead of yourself, um, you'll stop yourself from making silly mistakes. But Henry, just to add to that, yeah. if people are negative on markets, that must be positive because if I'm an advisor and I'm saying I'm negative markets, I'm probably going to say to my clients, take more, put more in cash and things like that. And therefore, if you're a lot of cash holding, that isn't negative for markets. I mean, we, we see bull markets really come to the end when there's euphoria, enormous euphoria. I don't think we're seeing that. No, I don't think we're seeing that now. Um, but it's also very difficult to, to read the herd. Um, you know, if you could do that, you could make lots of money. But uh, I think the right approach is, again, just to, to maintain a rational view through the booms and the busts. Well, we're going to take a break. You can still call on 011-483-1518. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back, and if you just joined the program, we're focusing on investments this evening. My guest is Henry Biddlecombe Anka. Our lines will remain open on 011-483-1518. We'll continue to answer the emails that we've received. And Oliver in Midrand says, why are the markets so concerned about Donald Trump's tweets? Surely he cannot do what he wants. You know, when you've got such a controversial and such a powerful policymaker with a direct line into the public, um, I think that causes uncertainty. And what's the one thing that markets hate? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. <laughs> so the minute he comes in with an opening remark, the market's immediately trying to speculate what the impact will be, and it's trying to price in the fallout, and you can't with a guy like that. But what will happen is, over time, the market will learn to discount Donald Trump. And I think it's, it's starting. Yeah, he's now. been actually quiet the last few weeks because yeah. we've seen the Dow slowly eke out over the 25,000 mark. And, you know, and, and let's hope, you know, by the, but as I say, by the time I leave this program, he could have, he, there could have been a tweet and the market instead of it's moving up. Yeah. Uh, Leonard in Durban says, have property yields improved due to the fall in property shares as well as earnings? I think you made that comment. I think we've dealt yes. with that. Yes. You said we've had share prices come up, what, 15 to 20%? Yeah, more, 30 and to you, 40. Yeah. Huh? So in some cases, 30 to 40%. Yeah. And then yeah. we've seen you make the point 5 to 8%. Do you think those yields, those increase in yields are going to slow down? I do think so, and it's an interesting point that you raise. You know, the, the yields are elevated, but I think that retailers are still under pressure. So there's a lot of positive sentiment on the South African market at this point, but there's not a lot of manifesta economic manifestation on the ground. And I think retailers are still under pressure. They've had to deal with two to three years of cost push inflation um, without much growth on the top. So when the time comes around for the property company to discuss the rental escalation, I think it's a difficult discussion. I don't think those rentals are going up by a huge amount. And Henry, in the property, there's, a, there's quite a few companies that are probably struggling to pay their rent in some of these big property centres. And I don't think the, the landlords like, would like to, get, to like to lose those tenants. I mean, we saw the close of Stutterfords in, I think, Eastgate and Santon. Yes. But, I mean, that is a concern. Huh? It is a concern. And that's why, as fund managers and analysts, we have to be quite careful. Um, and there are a lot of opportunities in that space, but they're specific opportunities, and you've got to do your research. 
Jacques in Johannesburg, please explain why the JC are so powerless. Why do they not suspend Brazilian shares as well as the resilient group shares as well as Steinhoff? Why is the FSB and JC not uh, reporting on these problems? You know, How can they never suspend at Steinhoff? Surely with yeah. all that news. Because there's been a lot of speculation, but a lot of innocent and, and people who don't ha- understand it have held Steinhoff share. It mm. was a top industrial. And we've just seen a complete collapse. Who's been trading those shares? No one knows. But, you know, isn't that the job of the, of the, the JC? It is. But, you know, in, Ste- in the case of Steinhoff, the JC is a secondary exchange. So they really have to take cues from the primary exchange, which is the DEX. Um, in the case of the resilience stable, you know, the JSC has to have a very firm reason to believe that people are either acting on material non-public information or they need to have concrete evidence that the share is subject to manipulation. Now, I understand that the investigation is ongoing, so there's no conclusion just yet. There's also no firm reason to suspend the share just yet. And I think it's also important to point out to the viewers that the reason the resilient stable came under pressure wasn't really because of concerns around share price manipulation, but it was more a function of the massive premiums to NAV that those shares were trading at. Now, um, when numerous sell-side houses came out with a report identifying that as a risk, I think it focused the market. Because they were trading something like 40 times earnings. Well, you know, it was a premium of around 40 to 50 percent in NAV in some cases. And of course, um, people sold the shares and those premiums have come right down. But you've got good yields. I mean, even the bigger ones, you're getting yields to have 7 to 8 percent. Look, if we're talking premium to now, I think those shares are, are, are trading at a much fairer value now than they were at the beginning of the year. Um, but I still think there's some corporate governance, con- potentially some corporate governance concerns there, so I'd be a little bit careful. Uh, Philip and Emirates says, corporate glo- corporates globally seem to have enormous cash reserves on their balance sheet. Surely they need to start remaining, re- retaining this capital, or reinvesting this capital. And then she comes on to say, and the South African companies, are they going to take this money and buy companies overseas or use it locally to create, and which will create employment? So those are t- that's two different questions. Two questions, so I think. yeah. On the local front, yes. You know, corporates have been sitting on massive piles of cash on their balance sheets. And why? It's because we haven't had a very pro-business government. We've had a lot of um, policy uncertainty and we've had a slow economy. So management are deferring capital investment decisions, and that's not surprising. But now, given the change in sentiment and potentially the, the change... Uh, the, heightened certainty post-December, I think hopefully you'll see management, management teams starting to commit to capital investment decisions, and that would be great for our economy. So we haven't seen um, huge evidence of that yet, but I think it's going to take six to 12 months for that to play out. Do you see, I mean, you know, because South Africans in the last few years, companies went overseas and really the foreign investors saw them coming with open checkbooks, and they, they really bought a lot of rubbish, some of them. But can you, are you thinking that South Africans will, at these levels, will take more money offshore and employ that money globally? I think you raise a valid point. I, don't, I think that um, numerous South African management teams have had uh, poor experiences going overseas. You know, just because you can do business here doesn't mean you can replicate that experience in other regions. So I think you're going to find that management teams going forward are going to be a lot more careful around um, doing deals overseas. We might even see less of them. And American companies also sitting with a lot of cash? They are, and that was one of the chief um, reasons for, the tax, uh, for Trump's tax reform. You know, um, not only are the uh, overseas cash piles deemed repatriated, so the companies have to pay the tax, ergo there's no reason for them to keep the cash overseas anymore, but they get a tax deduction for year one capital expenditure as well. So they're incentivized to invest mm-hmm. that cash back into the American economy. Okay, last email of the evening, Dave in Portland says, if everyone was convinced that the market was going to sell off and the RAND recovers, why didn't fund move a lot into cash? Sure. It's about time. I mean, you know, timing and, you know, don't try and time the markets. Time is not time. It's not when you go into markets. It's time actually in the markets. So. 
That's right. You know, there was an interesting study done by a university professor in the States. And he looked at the returns of the S&P 500 over a 30-year period, so about 8,000 trading days. Now, 95% of the market's returns were generated over just 90 days. So basically, on average, there were three days a year when the market made all its money. So you're going to try to time that. Yeah, well, you, some people have said to me, you know, I've got the market right. But I always say, you get it right once, lucky, try and get it uh, right twice. Okay, a quick one from Vivian in Johannesburg. Do emerging markets offer more value than developed markets? And what additional risk is one taking? So I, I, emerging markets, just like developed markets, will go through periods where they're overvalued, fairly valued and undervalued. Um, I think the point to make is the two aren't always correlated. So they're two very important building blocks um, for a diversified portfolio. Um, you do expect to earn higher returns in a developed market, but that's not without concomitant levels of risk. Well, yeah. if you speak to any investment advisor, I'll always explain that in order to invest on the stock market, at the very least, you should be smart, analytical, balanced in using initiative, and most important, patience. A little bit of luck also helps at times. We're currently going through a period where it's very difficult to convince investors to sit tight. Most important of all is to be patient and continue sticking to your own investment strategy. Shares don't always move logically and often return come when you least expect it. Nobody has the ability to predict exactly when returns will materialise. Share prices sometimes run ahead of their underlying value and every so often they lag. But over time, share prices follow earnings. Nevertheless, I do not estimate, underestimate the, in, the anxiety of investors, however difficult it may be. If you're one of those ancient people but understand your long-term strategy, become an ostrich for the next six to eight months and you'll sleep a lot better. Henry, thank you very much for joining me this evening. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will be dedicated to healthcare. However, I am deviating slightly to discuss the many people who die in our country unnecessarily from heart, kidney, lung and liver failure. And you need to get hold of me. My details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.